All right. Welcome to the adventures of the Yellow Peril and Magical Negro. All right. So, you got some This Is My Shit? I've got some This Is My Shit. I do have a couple This Is My Shit, but they're sort of pre-This Is My Shit, because I haven't actually read them yet. I'm just really happy I have copies. Okay. And I've heard really good, um, really good buzz about them. Okay. The first one is, um, When Everything Feels Like the Movies, which is a Canadian debut young young adult novel. Okay. That's all about, like, queerness. Okay. Um, and a boy who views school as, like... TV and film, so he's like, there are people who are the stars, there are those of us who are the extras. Interesting. And he sort of drags his friend off the casting couch, and um, basically also trying to win the boy that he likes. Okay. So I'm like, I've heard really good buzzes about it, it won like a bunch of things up in Canada, and so I'm really excited to have a copy of it. The other one, did I say that's by Raziel Reed? That's, I did now. <laughs> I did now, either way. The other one is an advanced copy, it's going to be coming out in August. It's George by Alex Gino. Okay. And it is a middle grade book about a trans woman or trans girl who basically wants to play, um, the whole thing is she wants to play Charlotte in Charlotte's Web. Mm. And her teacher says no. Mm. And so she comes up with a plan so that she can let everyone know who she is once and for all. And I've heard really, really good buzz about it. I'm really excited to start it. I'm hoping it lives up to what I've heard. Okay. And it's not like, you know, a bullshit build-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those two, I'm really excited to read. I'm really hoping that they are going to live up to the things I've heard about them. And that um, there's going to be more queer YA and middle grade stuff. Because, well, I would have loved it when I was younger. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of kids who would love it now. So, on that note of, like, things being hyped and then finally getting into it and mm-hmm. then having a bunch of queer folks, I finally started watching Steven Universe. Yay. And, and you know, it was the thing, like, everyone was hyped about, and I'm, I'm so used to when people are hyped about stuff, I'm like, yeah, it was alright, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, to be real honest, it was like the first ten episodes, I was like, eh, eh you know. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, you're you're cheerful and goofy and whatever. And then it's like, and then I was like, then they start doing shit where I'm like, oh, fuck you, how dare you say that? <laughs> My feelings. You guys love each other so much. I know. I love <laughs> like, yeah, I just, it was just so, you know, it, a nice gradual flip. Yeah. Tons of folks of color. Yep. Um, what uh, I really like is that um, all of the adults actually, like, have their flaws and issues. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my friends pointed out that actually all the people with authority at some point make mistakes in front of them and have to apologize. So it actually shows people with power. Yeah. Having to, like, negotiate things in a real way, not just, like, I'm always right or I'm always awesome, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I am really I really enjoyed it, and, uh, God, now I ran through them all. So, now, <laughs> yeah. I am not caught up, but I also love this show. I think it's fantastic. I, um... And Estelle, getting money. Estelle. You know I love me some Estelle. Yeah. Um, and I love the world they build. And I... Who's the who's the kid at the donut shop? Um, the, oh, the the guy with the ear? Yeah. The ear things? The stretched ears? Yeah. Yeah, I forget his name, but I know who you're talking about. I read a theory online that he's trans. Which huh. I don't think has been confirmed by the show, but huh. there were, like, certain hints, hints that people put together. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I love that it's a show where we can read that in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't put it past Rebecca Sugar, who is the amazing creator of, of um, Steven Universe. She's Cartoon Network's first female creator. Right. Um, she was the thing that made Adventure Time awesome. Yeah. Um, all the episodes you loved, all the songs you loved in Adventure Time, those were Rebecca Sugar's episodes. Hmm. Marceline the Vampire Queen and Bubble Yum having that little love affair, that was Rebecca Sugar. Like, okay. she is a straight-up genius, in my eyes. Um, and so, yeah, love Steven Universe. I need to get caught up. Um, the other thing which I'm kind of poking at, I only saw this just yesterday, and this is a Tumblr thing, so you know that means it, like, shows right. up instantly and probably disappears instantly. Yeah. So people have been doing this thing of microfiction, of regional gothic. Mm. So instead of southern gothic, like, the first one I saw was actually Pacific Northwest gothic. And since I'm from Seattle, I was like... Huh. And so everyone's just doing these little bits about, like, things you see that are creepy or weird or slightly off. 
And it goes slightly poking at wherever you're from, right? Uh-huh. And so that seemed kind of neat. I was like, okay, I need to maybe look at this more. Yeah, right? I need to check that out, because yeah. that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my, this is my shit. Shall we go into the main portion of this? Which is post-apocalypses. Burn it all down again. Yes. Yes, I love a good post-apocalypse. Can I first start with, like, my pet theory of what makes it an apocalyptic yes. story versus not? Yes. Um, I th- and I just thought about this last night while I was, like, writing down potential things. Um, an apocalypse is when the global society is shattered more than survival to humanity. And the reason I say that is because you have series where, like, Earth got blown up, but you have space colonies, yeah. and that's not a problem. Yeah. It seems to be mostly once society falls apart on a global scale, because it's like... You could have dome cities or places where you have some civilization, but you just don't have large civilization. Yeah. I mean, I think that the... I agree, but I also think that the um, the global becomes much smaller hmm. in a post-apocalypse. Right. Because you don't have the reach. I mean, in most post-apocalypses, yeah. you don't have the reach to go outside of your general area anymore. Right. And so, like, I think, like, once the people around you that you can reach have fallen into, it's basically like, yeah. Yeah. All of society's fallen apart as far as you can reach. Right, because part of it was I was thinking about what makes it specifically different than, like, dystopias. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, dystopia is pretty much usually posit, like, a fascist or totalitarian government. Yeah. That is controlling everything. And it's kind of the difference between, well, is it post-apocalyptic? Okay, you guys are this one or two settlements or this one city versus... Yeah. Well, yeah, but they control this entire country or this world, right? And then that's, that's a different thing. Um, but yeah, let's start going into these. Did you have some in mind? So here's the thing. I'm just going to say I was raised on the feminist post-apocalypses. Yes, God. So like the things that I love, like my very first um, sci-fi novel when I was 13, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, was one of two. I can't remember which one I read first. It was either, um, and now I'm going to forget both their names, Sally Ann Gearhart's Wanderground, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic, um, fantastic post-apocalypses of different societies, societies without men. And then um, Joanna Russ's The Female Man, hmm. which is about four different versions of this woman. Hey, phone. Hey, phone. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Um, four different versions of this woman living in these different worlds. And the scene I remember the most is when um, she's on, and one of them that comes from an all-female world is now in our world and is being interviewed on this television show, and the person is trying to talk to her about sex. But because it's like the 50s, right. they're trying to talk around it. And she finally gets what they're saying, and she's like, oh, we just have sex with each other. And it's this whole, like, go to commercial, go to commercial. <laughs> Um, but those two really shaped my view of what a good post-apocalypse story mm. is. Mm. Um, and I love them you know, to this day. On that note, actually, when I was looking up stuff last night, I found out, and, you know, I don't know if this is 100% like the accurate thing, but apparently Mary Shelley is credited with the first apocalypse story. Frank- not Frankenstein. Not Frankenstein, okay, The Last Man. <gasps> oh, that's right! So, 1826, so people can thank her for starting two genres. I had read that in school, and I completely forgot about it. I love Mary Shelley. Yeah, so now I'm like, I gotta go back and read these now, because I'm like, okay, you're starting a lot of new shit, right? Yeah. And there's no previous tropes for you to pull on in that regard, right? And all those bullshit theories about how she didn't really write her works are just that bullshit. Let's not even go into that. Right. But I love Mary Shelley. I love The Last Man. Sorry, I seem to have something in my throat today. Oh, yeah, it's spicy food. Spicy food! <laughs> That's true, we did have we'll some spicy burn food. it all away. Burn it down again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's interesting, because I started to think about post-apocalypses, and that some apocalypses are dependent on perspective. Yeah. Like, there are some that I would read, and I'm like, well, yeah. But, like, so... Um, it's apocalypse for one group, and a whole new world for another. Exactly, like when men are gone. Sometimes that's for the best. And sometimes you read those novels and you're like, yeah, it was for the best. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, James Tiptree's um, Houston, Houston, Do You Read? Which, mm. have you ever read this? I have not read it. It's fantastic. It's about um, three astronauts who get caught in a sunspot or something. 
and lose communication with Earth, end up being picked up by another ship. Turns out they've, like, time jumped. Okay. Men are gone. Mm-hmm. And they're just varieties of women that are clones. Um mm. And they, basically, they slowly learn this, and, you know, they react as men would react. Mm. Um, there's a scene of rape. Mm. Um, that's very interesting, because the, it's, it's a complex scene, because mm. the, the victim does not view it as rape. Mm-hmm. Um, the victim views it as getting more sperm for the collective. Okay. So there's, there's some stuff happening. James Tiptree and Joanna Russ, when they did uh, sexual, Sexualized Violence... They did very interesting, like, complex things with it. And I, okay. Yeah. One of the things I love. But basically, the men have to die. Yeah. Um, well, as they do. Happen. And I was like, yeah, that's a post-apocalypse for some people. But for some people, it seems like a pretty nice world. I feel like that was really um, the point of I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, I wish the movie was more like... I, I had read the comic, not the book, but the comic was also quite good. I wish like, the movie was better. But yeah. did you see the all, the first ending they filmed? Yes, which was so much better than right. what I was like. Oh Jesus! Oh um, God! Yeah. So I am Legend was one. Um, I realized, and you know, again, one of my pet theories because mm-hmm. on the movie side, I feel like I feel like every ten years or you know every generation, there's a movie that changes what our view of the post apocalypse is. Mm-hmm. So in the eighties, it was very much Road Warrior. Oh, Road Warrior. Right, because you had That's nuclear you had nuclear war, and then you had fighting over gas, which, of course, yeah. was pretty much, like, you know, in the U.S., our main, you know, like, fears being portrayed, right? Yeah, exactly. What's interesting is I feel the 90s post-apocalypse mm-hmm. is the Matrix. Really? Everyone okay. is enslaved to a machine. You, your survival is doubtful if the machine decides to take you out or breaks down. Mm. You know, this um, is true, and it's sort of like the only <laughs> the the reality is everything is fucked. The illusion is that everything's okay, right? <laughs> Which hey, there's a bit about the '90s right there, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> that is quite possibly the best metaphor for the '90s ever, really. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I probably need to catch. Uh, unfortunately, for the 2000s, I have not watched a lot of stuff. But I feel like the dystopia has kind of taken that place. Yeah, I mean, I think the dystopia has taken that place in every way. Yeah. We don't really get... Um, and one of the other things I feel like about post-apocalyptic s- stories versus dystopian stories, it, to piggyback on what you were saying about the politics and um, the totalitarian government, mm-hmm. is that often in post-apocalyptic stories, you don't really have a government. You don't have a large-scale government. You might right, have, you might a, have a tyranny or a king or something. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. But you have a, it feels like you have a lot of different societies functioning in different ways in this area. Um, like, you think about um, Susie McKee Charnas's um, Walk to the End of the World, I think is the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, Motherland, or Motherlines. Ugh, it's a four-book series. Um, they're fantastic. I think they're like, walked it in the world, mother lines, furies, and one more. And it is a patriarchal, post-apocalyptic, like basically, the you know, the high-powered men survive and they turn women into horrible things. And it's about this woman escaping and finding other societies outside that function very differently. And um, <laughs> there's the, the book with the horse sex. Because, yes, because, no, because there's a society of women that have, um, basically, all the men are dead, and they've done something genetic modified, it's been years since I've read it, where the horses that they bond with and ride carry the semen of, like, humans, I don't know, I can't remember, I I can't, I mean, like, I'm just laughing, because I'm just sort of like, well, now that we have Yeti sex books, I suppose, like, you know, this was just the precursor. But this was in the... Late 70s? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. I'm just saying, like, like clearly that thread was there, and now that we have the internet, people can buy tons of this, right? Exactly. Like, um, that's some, it was some good shit, though. Um, that's some good post-apocalypses. One thing I think is interesting about post-apocalyptic stuff is whether it looks at the, uh, the diversity, like, this breakdown of a monoculture into a diversity of cultures mm-hmm. as a good or a bad thing. Yes. Because I think when I was younger, a lot of times I saw this as a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, even whack shit like Mad Max, I was just like, yeah. oh, but look, here's these people who have this kind of society, and these people have this. Right, you only get to see, like, four, you know, three or four of the entire thing, but you're like, you have more options, right? Yeah, like, there are more options for your life right. than, um, 
bullshit that you have right, right. now. Um, but it's interesting because I wonder how much of that also was actually intended to be to scare people more. Mm. Oh, no. Now you're now you have to live in Barter Town where a black woman rules things. Like right. you know, so it's like how scary is that? Because like, I feel like that was one of the things I felt about Lost Cyberpunk whenever they yeah. go. You know, like of course there's some Asian Asian fetishization about like and now there's like Chinese characters everywhere and Japanese characters everywhere. But I felt like also some of that was like, oh no, it's not America anymore. Right? Oh, yeah. Like like that very much like tea party bullshit, right? For sure. I think that's definitely part of it. Right. Um, have you ever read Trouble and Her Friends? Mm-mm. So that is a fantastic book by Melissa Scott, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, and the interesting thing about that is it is a cyberpunk book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically after something that is like uh, the, what is it, Sopa and Pippa okay. passes. And it's three years later, and this woman who got out of hacking, her identity is being used again. Uh-huh. And so she has to go back in to like find out what's going on. One of the most interesting parts about it is that her society in the hacking society was a small subset filled with people of color, women, queer people, um, who were rejected by uh, the white male hackers who uh, like were the popular, po- um, the most populous. Right. So it's a really interesting little like society that formed on its own. And I really enjoyed that about the book. Um, um, I was going to say, so, like, one of the things that did come up for me was thinking about the video games with post-apocalyptic stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and, like, the one that, uh, there's a couple I was thinking of. One is uh, this old uh, shooter, you know, rail shooter game called Panzer Dragoon. Okay. You sit, on, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic Earth. We made a bunch of, like, crazy bioweapons. Oh, Jesus. And that, turned out, that turned out poorly. And now, you know, I don't know, it's got to be a couple hundred years later. People now live off of the bioweapons. That's to say we're hunting them for parts and food. Ew. Right. That's amazing. And so um, everything is sort of like weird, like, sea crustacean or insectoid, and you have a dragon that has, like, you know, chitinous armor and shit. And you're basically, you know, the Empire is basically the folks who have the most recovered technology under their control, and you're mm. fighting against them. Um, but I like this interesting thing about sort of where... The post-apocalypse is like, yeah, we fucked it up, and now we're living on the shit we fucked up with, yeah. right? Like, that's an interesting kind of thing. The way that, the, way that the society changes right. because of um, what's available now. Right. That's one of the most interesting things. Um, you see that in, um, what's that, what's that uh, manga? Um, Nos- Nausicaa? Yeah, Nausicaa. where they have all the uh, weird fungoid, insectoid stuff. Exactly. It's yeah. this very post-apocalyptic world where society has shifted to live with it. Right. Um, which is fascinating and much more interesting, I think, than, like, just a dystopian society. Which is not me saying I don't love the Hunger Games. But, but these but, are clearly different focuses, yeah, right? clearly different um, focuses. The other video game I was thinking of, of or there's a couple video games, but there's this thing that is also interesting where you're talking about a post-apocalyptic human society. or It's post-apocalypse for the humans, but you're seeing it from the point of view of something who's not human. Oh, okay. Um, so... A uh, couple, a uh, couple were like this. Uh, there was the Mega Man RPG, mm. where humans are gone. Really, it's just the robots who form their own society after you know, or maybe I think there's some humans, but they're like pretty much like we're the few humans left. Yeah, right? um, which actually was also um, there was this old toy series that had a Marvel comics called Starriers. Starriers, which, which were basically robots again, and actually. A group of robots had the mission to go reawaken humanity after, you mm-hmm. know, the Earth had regenerated some. Um, there is uh, this goofy game uh, called Silhouette Mirage, which, again, robots... Um, which What's also great is that all these robots basically are using, um, like, biblical terminology. Mm-hmm. It's like they're using names of angels, and they're... It, it's really interesting, because I really want to kind of go back and see, like, how much does this actually tie to, like, uh, Apocalyptica, because yeah. it felt like they did some research. Um, and then uh, the one that I played most recently, which is, like, I don't know, four or five years ago, Digital Devil Saga. And Digital Devil Saga, I felt, did the best in its post-apocalyptic thing, because it was, like, this long, sort of slow reveal of how things work, because it's two games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're part of... You have these groups of people who call themselves tribes, right? They're uh. basically... Gangs in this city 
that is a cross between a modern city and, like, ancient Vedic runes. Mm -hmm. And all of them have sort of this weird effect when they talk to each other. Everyone's kind of very calm. You notice there's no elderly people, there's no children. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what's going on? They're always fighting each other. And, you know, basically by the end of the first game, and spoilers, but whatever, it's like however old now, um, you find out that you all weren't human. You're all just combat programs in an, in an AI system to test tactical stuff. Oh, damn. Which is why there was no children, no, no elderly, people. because who, why would you need that? You're testing, like, tactics, right? Oh, my God. And, you know, cracktastic JRPG style, they get teleported into the real world. Oh, and it turns out the real world actually underwent its own apocalypse. And so then it's like, oh, this is bad. Like, you went from, oh, well, okay, it didn't have to be, like, have a society because it was a combat program. Oh, God, what do we do? Like, <laughs> um, so one of the things I'm thinking now about post-apocalypses, and because we both enjoy them in, in different ways, especially the, the monoculture into many cultures, is this one of the reasons... That um, that post-apocalypses exist mm. for people who are marginalized by the monoculture we exist in to burn that shit down mm. and form different cultures that function in different ways. Right. And maybe I'm just thinking this because, like I said, my history comes from the feminist like apocalypses. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like Journey to Zelandar, which um, is all about like. Uh, has horrible sexualized violence in the beginning because you're in a fucked up patriarchal society and the woman basically walks to a new society right. that's almost all women. Right. Um, it's a fantastic book. Um, I can't remember who wrote it. Shame on me. Right. Um, but, like, is that what we're doing? And it's sort of like this interesting thing about where it's, like, the balance between this giant monoculture, this, this giant, like, society or civilization... Gives us infrastructure to help mm -hmm. survive, but at which point is it like, actually this thing harms us enough where we'd be better off without it, right? Yeah. Like, that seems to be a pretty common theme, too. Well, right? and we're talking about the shift that happened. We don't get as many post-apocalypses now as we do dystopians. Mm -hmm. So there's this shift happening, it feels like, from this idea, which is still alive, I think, and still there, of we need to tear this shit down and build it back a different way. It's just rotten to the core. But also, our focus has shifted to, well, this is just the way it's going to be. And it's going to continue on, on this horrible dystopian pathway. Mm. And this is the final. Well, either that, or maybe people, what it is, is people's lens has gotten shorter. Like, okay, we do need to tear it down, but what does it look like until we get there? Right? Okay. Because that's, that, that's a thing I think about a lot, especially given post 9-11... You know, mm -hmm. I feel like the surveillance state, all that kind of stuff, really has played up a lot, right? That's Like, true. that paranoia. The paranoia and, like, the totalitarian fascism is really combined into this. Well, that and that's an interesting... Um, that's an interesting thing, because I was wondering... You know, I've been thinking about dystopians and post-apocalypses as, like, two separate things. Mm -hmm. But the end of a dystopia is often a, a post-apocalypse, because you're tearing shit down. Yeah. Um even though the Hunger Games didn't do that well. No yeah. tea, no shade. Um, that ending. But um, another book I was going to bring up, a book series, that where you see a dystopia and um, a post-apocalyptic side-by-side is the Return to Isis series. Hmm. Um, and I don't remember the author's name. I'm, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm going to hell. Um, but so she does this thing where basically the East Coast and the East, um, Eastern United States is this really handmaiden's tale, messed up, like, religious, um, Christian, right-wing, patriarchal, mm. all-white, like, really fucked up supremacy. Um, and the main character escapes to the West, where I think they've been told there's nothing there, like, that's all wasteland. Mm. But what you find in the West are seven free cities that trade with each other, mm -hmm. and because it's queer sci-fi... Um, of the seven cities, four of them are all female. One of them is all male, and it's, of course, where San Francisco used to be, and its name is now Harvey. Um, right? Cute, right? cute. And then two of them are mixed. Okay. So, like, all the straight people live in the mixed towns, and, like, everyone else lives... And I, I believe the basic premise, which I love, is that lesbians hit up in the woods when the shit went down, and then came back and formed society after it was all over, which is just great. Um, but so you sort of have both. Right. You have this really fucked up dystopian um, tech state, and you have 
these free cities that are connected with one another, but are sort of on their own and the way they've adapted technology with nature to live. Right. Um, which is fascinating. And I think what a good series should do when you're trying to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to name names. Book just came to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is it okay if I jump to a very different type of dystopia or not dystopia, uh, post-apocalypse? Do it. Um, it occurred to me last night. So, uh, this anime mm-hmm. from the early 80s in America's Star Blazers, in Japan it was Battleship Yamato. Oh, and yes. What is. is really interesting is that basically Earth is bombarded by radiation bombs by aliens. And, you know, the space adventure is we build one ship that has a warp drive and we're trying to go to this alien planet to get this tech to fix the planet. And what they did that was pretty great about this um, was that they did emphasize how fucked the Earth was. Mm-hmm. There was stuff like the crew getting homesick. Well, there was stuff like um, uh, they act, at the end of every episode they had a countdown. Like they'd be like, "Hurry, Star Force! You have two hundred sixty-four days left." Like well, before the radiation kills everyone, you're just like, "Oh my!" God. Can we talk about the the heart wrenching? fucked up flashbacks to the bombing <laughs> where that boy is sitting on that bench waiting for his parents waiting for his parents to I was get like, on the bus and come meet him and and they never show up mm-hmm. and I was just and like and you see the city blow up in the distance right I'm like what the hell I was like happened. six when I saw that it's like <laughs> I was like you know, given the fact that a lot of this show, unfortunately, is, like, intense Japanese imperialism, yeah. that was such a great anti-war message in that, right? It was. Like, that, that counteracted a lot of G.I. Joe and Transformers for me, I'll tell you that much. Like, I, ooh, that was some fucked up shit, but it was good. Yeah. It was good. Alright, um, sorry, keep going. I, well, I was gonna say, like, the only, it's interesting because it made me realize that that kind of ties to, like, the BSG uh, reboot, right? Because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, all their planets are gone, well... Sort of gone, but pretty much gone. Yeah. And, you know, here's these survivors just trying to figure out what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very interesting, different post-apocalypse, because you don't have to wander in the sight of the apocalypse. You're like a castaway, yeah. right? Well, and also it's interesting because what you have instead of, um, like, new societies forming, I mean, you have that as well, but mm-hmm. what you mostly have is actually seeing people try to hold the old system together. Right. As it fractures and breaks apart, as people form these small, smaller societies. Right. I mean, BSG didn't do a great job of that, but you saw it little by little as, like, they tried to hold the old standards and the old society. Right. And that ending was horrible. Yeah, I didn't In get that far. so many, so many, so many, so many ways. But the one interesting part I do think... Um, despite the stupidity of throwing away your technology and not even thinking about people who need medication or treatments or whatever, um, is that you were determined to throw away your society in a way. It was almost like they'd come to the conclusion that, yeah, this shit wasn't working. Try to hold the thing together wasn't working. Yeah. Let's go down to this planet and try and live their way. And I don't think that's a smart move, but it's interesting. You know, it's interesting also because it makes me realize the inverse of that, mm-hmm. or the opposite of that, would be um, uh, the anime Psychopaths. Because Psychopaths is a dystopia, mm-hmm. and the main character... Oh, I started watching it. Oh, good, good, good. We'll get to that in a yeah, minute. Yeah. But, um, like, the thing is that the main character is basically riding that line between, I want things to change for the better, but I know if this whole system goes down, People are just going to die by droves, and I don't want that either. Yeah. And it's just such an interesting balance, because I feel that show does a good job of showing, like, you can make it work, but oh my god. Like, (laughs) Uh, I only watched one episode. Okay, Um, yeah. Because you were right, that first episode, that was some intense shit. Yeah, I would tell you maybe Wikipedia the first six episodes, and then jump in, yeah. But I like her. She likes the main character a lot. She's really good. And when it gets to second season, she's so amazing. Akane is like... <sighs> okay. She's my... She's you basically, like, I feel like the kind of character that she is, um, I feel like anytime anyone gushes about Batman, I'd rather gush about Akane. Okay. Like, she basically does... I feel like she is, like, morally the thing that Batman can't... Mor- morally everything Batman can't live up to because he's a punk. Yeah. <laughs> And I like Batman, so yeah. that says a lot, right? Like, well said, okay. well said. Because um, <laughs> he's a punk. 
Um, sometimes you just gotta speak the truth. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Oh, what so else? post-apocalypse, post-apocalypse TV. Hmm. Mostly zombies, huh? But, well, here's the thing. I like to, as I think you know, I like to go outside the U.S. for my TV a lot. Mm-hmm. Um. I like to go to Canada. I like to go to Europe. I like to go to Africa when I can get it. Right. Um, I like to go to Australia. And so there is a series, and I'm totally going to forget most of it because it's almost, I think it's, one, I want to say it's at least two series tied together in the same world. Okay. It is Children Post-Apocalypses. So you have one series. One of them is called The Tribe, and you can find the rest from that. Okay. Um, but one of them focuses on, like, teenagers post-apocalypse. Okay. And, like, the societies they form and the wars that happen. Like, there's a group that lives in the old mall. Like, it all gets fucked up. Okay. But then you have the other series, which focuses on the children. Uh, okay. Right? Now, this is some shit that I don't know why American TV hasn't picked this up. It's like Lord of the Flies all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> except not really. Um, <laughs> not really. They're, like good things that happen and good people and stuff like that, which, um, as a little side note, I don't know if you saw this thing on the Tumblr. I think it's old, but it was someone saying what your professor doesn't like when you oh, when yeah. the Stanford exper- experiment is you saying this doesn't show something about humanity. It shows something about like privileged straight white men. Right. Um, I feel the same way for Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, which yeah someone yeah. said in that post, they were like, Lord of the Flies is the same thing. And I was like, yes, thank you. And so the tribe is sort of that because Australia has their issues, but it also has like caring people and romances and like, not, I don't think romance dominated the children's one, but definitely in the teen one. Yeah. Um, and it was just an interesting example of this sort of post-apocalypse society that was like children breaking into tribes and trying to hold on to what little bits of society they could remember. Right. Um, it got dark at times, though. Dark. Eesh. Even the kids one. Dark. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, kids in a post-apocalypse. I can't imagine, like, rainbows and sunshine off of that, right? I, I love a good ch- child in a post-apocalyptic world, though. They, they, they're good. Yeah. Only thing I like about Waterworld. Uh, I mean, because as far as post-apocalypse go, mostly what I think of is Mad Max. So I'm short on post-apocalypse. Again, Australia. <laughs> yeah, Australia. Again, Australia. Australia know Australia lives within the post-apocalypse, so they know what it well, looks like. Technically, for a lot of indigenous people, well, right? Um, that's yeah, yeah, that yeah, exactly that's real. Like, um, well, if you see the films the indigenous filmmakers make in Australia, and New Zealand, holy shit balls. Mm-hmm. Um, um, oh, here's another thing. I, it's interesting when you have a post-apocalypse, uh, post-apocalyptic media that paints it as relatively cheerful Mm. in the middle of, like, you're like, what happened here, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, most people gush about Adventure Time, which I didn't really get into, but okay. Um, I'm thinking about the anime Big O. I don't know this one. Um, It was, like, 90s, late 90s, basically giant robot stuff, Mm -hmm. but everyone's living in these dome cities, Mm. and it's not clear what happened outside, and the cities basically only have limited connection to each other through tunnels. Yeah. And it's like, everything looks a little run down, everything has, so, you know, it, the, it has this nice art deco style, but it's also like, everything's kind of falling apart, and you're like, what's going on here? How do we get food? What's, what's what happened? happened? Yeah, what, what happened and how are you functioning now? Right. Um, but, you know, the, you know, it's relatively like, ah, things are cruising along, and I'm like, that doesn't look good. No. Well, and then there's that really popular book series, um, S.M. Sterling's The Change, Mm. which is post-apocalypse. You know, things above a certain tech level just stop functioning. Now, I think the interesting part with that series is that you don't see many people of color, Mm -hmm. which is the norm for most series. But his series actually has a reason why you don't see most people of color. It's because the cities turned on each other hard. Mm -hmm. And since that's where most of the people of color were, there aren't a lot left. And I was like, "Mm, Mm. okay, I want to, I'm not a fan of the series. I have friends who are. Um, I'm actually a much bigger fan of the flip side of that series, which is the Island in the Sea of Time trilogy. Mm -hmm. So all their technology gets fucked up in our time, whatever. Nantucket disappears. 
Nantucket reappears over thousands, thousands of years ago. So oh. basically all the people who were on Nantucket, and including one of the um, Coast Guard boats who was led by a black lesbian named Marion Anderson, who was okay. one of the best characters, um, they get transported to the past. Okay. And it's basically them trying to learn how to function, what are they going to do. I mean, there are some missteps. There, I love the black guy who wants to go to Egypt and like warn, basically warn Africa that Europe is coming. And I was like, I want you to follow that storyline. Um, but it's a wonderful sort of like time jump series mm-hmm. that ties into a post-apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I was just reminded there was late '80s this short comic series called Mighty Tiny. Um, Mighty Tiny. It was an indie one by uh, the guy who did Ninja High School, Ben Dunn. Okay. And it's basically, we don't know what happened to humans. They're all dead. And basically, tiny anthropomorphic mice have formed their own societies. What the fuck? To where they're having wars with each other. Oh, And, hell. you know, basically, they've, they've, they've gotten up to, like, say, World War II technology plus, like, airships. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that they're fighting over lo- lost human tech. Interesting. Including, like, our combat androids. What? Which, you know, it's like, it'd be the equivalent of, like, having um, one of the, like, frickin' mecha from, like, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Aimed at your enemies. Yeah, because it would be huge. All it needs to do is step on most of your society. Right. But it's actually equipped with lasers and shit to take out tanks. So it's like, um... That's interesting. Yeah. Was it a limited series, or did it go on? Um, I think it was only, like, maybe ten issues or something. It was, like, one of those things where, like, a lot of indie stuff at the time, they were just like, well, we'll just do this much, because that's what we can do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if that's collected somewhere, because I'd really like to take a look at oh, it. Oh! You know, this isn't quite post-apocalyptic, because, again, society's functioning, but it's Apocalypse for Humanity. Mm. Um, was the old Albedo comic. Um, Albedo is, uh... Anthropomorphic. This was before. Oh, 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 This was before, like everyone started having hypersexual furries and everything. Yes, but wait, this is the Catwoman, right? Yes, yes. And okay. basically, uh, all the animal people were genetically engineered. Yes, they wake up with the knowledge of how to run a society, and they quickly figure out, wait, there's no way we could have evolved like this. That doesn't make sense. We must have been engineered. And they eventually find a human ship that is just full of corp. You know, not full of corpses, but like. The crew is dead. And they're there's like, enough corpses. Yeah, there's enough corpses. They're like, well, the tech base is the same as us, and these might be your predecessors, right? And you're like, what happened? Right? Yeah, and it's never discussed, is it? I don't oh, well, no one knows what. Like, they're trying to find out, but no one knows. Right? Yeah, like that's that's awesome. I want yeah. more stories like that, actually. Um, and aren't the rabbits like Nazis? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they get really totalitarian and like start to execute the other species and stuff. Yeah, and what I thought was kind of interesting is that their society starts as like a, a relatively utopian uh, uh, socialist society. Uh-huh. Like that was the knowledge left with them is how to run a socialist society, and they're like they're doing okay. And then people start calling us their plans. They're like, well, what if we do it like this? Well, yeah. What if we do it like that? And then of course shit starts popping off, right? Oh, Jeebus. <laughs> I hope that's collected somewhere too. I, all these like really early animal comics where humans are gone are fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's like, that reminds me. There was that uh, CG movie Nine. With yes. The animated dolls. That was creepy. Yes. But I, you know, I have my uncanny valley issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a good movie. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember, was uh, the Guardians of Gahul also... I don't remember. Right, because I remember the owls had fucking, like, blacksmithing tech. Yeah, the owls were no joke, but I can't remember if humans were around or not. Um, I don't know. The post-apocalyptic series I wanted to bring up, I mentioned this before, is Terry Brooks' Shannara series. Okay, lay it on me. Oh, God. So, Shannara. I read Shannara when I was young. And there's nothing... uh, Yeah, well... It's Shannara. (laughs) Um, the thing is that when you first read Shannara, what it feels like almost is it almost feels like that that trend of of let's call them homages okay. to Lord of the Rings that were okay. popular in the eighties um, and nineties. The king of that is Dennis McKiernan, whose Iron Tower series is about small um, creatures with tough feet that have to go on a journey. It's a, oh. but anyway, back to Terry Brooks. So <laughs> they're just baby elephants. Oh my God. <laughs> baby elephants have tough feet. They go on journeys. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. Blah, 
Saga. <laughs> Someone write that mashup. Barbar as a warrior king. I want it. And his and his warrior queen Celeste. I, I want him I want it to be like a Conan story, right? Where there's beheadings and all kinds <laughs> of like, like There's beheadings and criminals. And trails of your enemy. Right. Yeah. Detuskings of, of the prisoners. Okay. <laughs> we've 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 faltered. Um, <laughs> Tumblr, here we come. <laughs> so uh, Terry Brooks Shinar series sort of feels like that. Um, you know, there's a dark tower, there's dark beings that, like, wear cloaks. There's a lot of darkness. Um, darkness. Right? <laughs> there's elves and dwarves and trolls and gnomes and spider gnomes and humans. There's a lot of things. Um, what's interesting is if you go deep enough into the series, as I did, mm-hmm. um, I'm not even going to lie, I think I still have a bunch of the books. I stopped at a certain point. But it's that thing where you stop reading before people stop giving you the books because they know how into the series you are. Right, right. You slowly realize that this is a post-apocalyptic world. Uh That humanity done fucked up with nuclear weapons. And all of the species, with the exception of elves, because they're magical and special, all the other species are actually humans that have mutated to survive in these different environments. And have formed completely different societies now. And basically have, like... I'm guessing their guide was a copy of Lord of the Rings. I'm because like the dwarves who live underground and the elves in their forests. Not to say there wasn't good shit in there. Like there was elf trees that protected the nation and kept demons at bay. There were good stories. Um, and the female characters were often um, very interesting. I remember I'm gonna get the name wrong, but I think it was Bree Amsford. At one point, she like sacrifices herself, mm-hmm. which you know female characters really never get to do. They never get to have the heroic death where they're like, "I'm gonna save." Like not a yeah, yeah. They, they, death. they get like either refrigerated or they get like a, a three sentence death. Exactly. Right? Like, oh, and then she's gone. You never, and then you spend twenty more pages on man pain, right? You never get the woman who's just like, "No, you guys go on. I'm gonna hold them off," and gets like that epic death scene. Yeah. Where she takes out a whole bunch of them, even to the last, like, mm. Yeah. Um, so, I, f- I mean, that, that didn't happen. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm building this up a lot more. But the series was interesting, but it was interesting to me that you do get those, and I love this theme, mm. of the sort of fantasy world that springs up after the apocalypse. You know what's also interesting is mm. when you have the fantasy world that goes through its apocalypse. Mm. Um, I, I just thought about when we were describing this, a, a video game I played on the PS1, I think it was. Legend of Lagaya. So Legend of Lagaya starts in their post-apocalypse. Okay. Everyone is in isolated villages because, or like towns because basically they have magical shields keeping out the mist Uh-oh. that is full of monsters. And your shield fails. Well, that's and not you good. gotta basically get your way out and survive and do shit. And so it's like one of those things where you're like, well, okay. First off, we know the mist was not the way things always were. Mm-hmm. We so what happened, right? Like, yeah. And it's kind of interesting when you have the post-apocalypse. Ba- the apocalypse basically come from magic as opposed to tech. Yeah. Um. And then of course there's always stuff that vaguely hints at an apocalypse. Well. So like, distantly hints at Apocalypse, and you're like, something happened in this world, and something fucked up. Yeah, something went down. You know what that made me think of? What's that? Oh, my guilty, guilty pleasure. You know what? Not a guilty pleasure, because I love it, and I'm owning it. Um, Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah. I, but I don't feel that was really post-Apocalypse. That's mostly just, like, well, cyberpunk shit. It's cyberpunk stuff, but it's also societies break down and new societies form. That's true. Like, all of Oregon becomes an elven nation all of a sudden. Yeah. You, but here's the thing. As problematic as some of it was, I'm not saying it wasn't, it was interesting to me that Shadowrun was one of the series that gave native folks their own states. Right. And that those states did not let white people in most of the time. Like, some of them were more open and some of them were like, you are only, if you are a white person trying to immigrate here, the only way you're going to get in is if you have a highly specialized skill and then it's on a contract and you out when you're done. So in other words, Canada. Right. Like, yeah. right? like, but it was, it was really interesting to me that you had, like, some of it was fucked up and some of it was stereotypical, but that they did talk about, like, how did the society shift in Japan when this happened? Mm-hmm. How did the society shift in South America? How did the society shift in Europe when magic came back and sort right. of magic caused this apocalypse? Magic caused our old society to fall apart. So, uh, I will point to my favorite craptastic version of that. That's Uh-oh. just 
it, it's that I will say it's my guilty pleasure from like when I was sixteen. There was a role playing game called Rifts. Oh my god! Do you yeah. know this? So, yes, so, I do. So, so I, it was, I, I remember it generally. Like we, we had a nuclear war. Yeah. Then the, all these people dying caused in a psychic energy. Yeah. Ripped back magic and tore open oh, gateways to all these other dimensions, and Earth becomes this giant battleground between all these dimensions. Right. Um, oh yeah, palladium. I games. mean. That's some good shit. Just the, the concept, the concept is, good, is but, some good oh shit. Oh my god, the fact that like the humans basically all turned to neo Nazis. Yeah, they either turn to neo Nazis or Wiccans, right? Like that's your options. Those are always your options. I feel like for white people in a post apocalypse, they either become like really totalitarian and like everything must hold together, or they become ooh, I feel the trees but, and I can hear them. But it's so funny because when you think about like actual white supremacists and how many of them are like fake. Pagans, you know, yes. like so it's just like it's like so basically you just have two classes, right? Like 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 tech racist and magic racist, right? Like totally. And I mean, if brown people survive in a post apocalypse, usually we just always go the nature route, right? Um, because you know we close to the earth. Yep. Um, it, we all devolve, and then yeah, or like some reason we just decide to throw back. Let's get an emperor again. Sure, why not? But we don't devolve. We develop into our true core selves, <laughs> which is always less than white people. Um, um, but what I so want to that. mention real quick on the note of hinted at apocalypses. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I know this is just because they didn't really think it out. But so Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we've got this established world. All this stuff is happening. We go over to Korra and we get this origin story of the first Avatar, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is that the origin story of the first Avatar is all these humans are living on the backs of, like, giant, the giant magic turtles. Okay. Right? Like, because the rest of the world is dominated by spirit monsters. And... As you do. And here's the thing. We have all these things, like, you know, we're living in these giant cities on the back of giant turtles, so we're protected from the monsters. Okay. We have things, like, things that only make sense if you had a full-functioning society, like... Halberds and things you would use on horseback. And where are you going to ride a horse? Exactly, which makes me say, so you guys probably had a world, a functioning world, before mm-hmm. the spirits took over. And I'm like, what happened? Right? And I'm just like, uh, but of course, you know, I know this is because they got rid of, like, all their good writers and just turned to shit and didn't think about what they were doing. Yeah, like, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked before about how Avatar is a very amazing, award-winning, fantastic series, and that Korra just drops the ball. And it's just so sad, because I want to love Korra. I wanted to, too, because I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like, number one, I love a time jump where we're in a new society. Number two, female lead. I'm all over that. Brown woman. Brown woman. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, and then it woman just... was good arms. Beaten <laughs> ass. I'm like, I'm there, right? And then they brought... The thing is, I've, one of the problems with Korra is that they brought up a lot of things that they didn't know where they were going with. Yeah. Where, like, people are like, well, the benders are oppressing us. And I was like, I can believe that. What's the, what's the through line for this story, man? Like, what are you telling me? Yeah, they didn't go anywhere with it. We just need some bad guys. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I didn't realize fighting for your rights was bad. Um, That's not what they believed in Avatar. Right? (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, yes, we could probably do episodes of bitterness there. We could do (laughs) whole episodes of Avatar bitterness. Shall we go into Why Must It Be? Let us go into Why Must It Be. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, You can go first, because I feel like I I will need to be stopped. (laughs) Like, I will not stop on my own. Okay. I, I, I'll, I'll control myself. So, um... I don't know if this is related to geekdom, but it's definitely related to race. Okay. Just because you date or fuck a person of color... Oh, boy. ...does not mean, number one, that you are a person of color. That's real. And number two, that you aren't racist. Yep. There are so many people of color... Who have mar like, and I'm not saying interracial marriages are bad or wrong or anything. My stepfather is white. I adore him. That's not the issue here. The issue is people using their relationship with a person of color as a shield for their racism or sexism or whatever. 
Right. It's it's basically like saying I can't I can't be sexist. I date women, which we know is bullshit. Right. So saying I can't be racist. I'm you know married to an Asian woman, or I'm dating a black man, or whatever. Right. No, it doesn't work because I guarantee you that there are so many people of color out there that have the story of that person they dated who mm-hmm. said something or fetishized them or acted a certain way. I could tell you my story about hearing a girl I was dating in high school. I know. It was high school. I was dating a girl who called me Mandingo behind my back. We were 14. So, don't use that as a shield. Your actions should speak for themselves. Right. I'm trying to not be crude. So, it's making me hesitate. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, you know... Sure, I have these friends, and maybe these friends didn't check me, but I'm not friends with everyone in the goddamn world. Thank you. And, you know, yeah, there may be situations where you do something, and it's like, yeah, maybe there's just someone complaining out of nowhere, but most of the time, if it's based on a hierarchy or a privileged power, you're probably fucking up. Yeah. And if you at least take the time to check, then odds are pretty good you will improve over time. But if you just say, well, I can't be unshielded, there is no. no shield. No. There is no shield. And your dick is certainly not a fucking shield. Yeah. Um, I don't care who you dated in the past. I judge you by your actions. What you say, what you do. Yeah. That is what matters. So, if you do some bullshit that is, you know, quietly calling out against diversity. Yep. Or loudly. Or loudly. They'll do that too. They'll do that too. They'll do it really loud. And then when people try and call you on it, your defense is that you are dating or married or best friends or whatever. Or or adopted. Or Or you have have adopted a person of color. That makes it worse. That doesn't make it better. That makes it worse. You know, and I think a real interesting, um, I'll just just be raw with it. The underlying thing I think happens Mm -hmm. is that a lot of people don't understand. You can have two people who are married. And in one case, you have a partnership. In the other case, you have an ownership. Yes. And that's not that's not a you know legal thing, but that's mm. how you treat each other. Exactly. And a lot of times when these people are talking about, well, I have this in my life, and it's like, no, that's an ownership. You exactly. adopted that child out of an ownership, not out of a raising. And I know a lot of people go, well, don't touch me, don't touch me. And it's like, you know what, though? I've seen this enough. And I don't necessarily know about specifically you, but if odds are, if you're sitting here pulling this up as a shield, mm-hmm. you're using them as an accessory, and you're not treating them as a person. And as a side note, if that website is still there, transracial abductees, right? That's some. That is some first person stories. I, I've got a great Tumblr story on this. If you're willing to go, oh, right? I'm always willing to go. So someone said something racist on Tumblr. No surprise. I said some shit back to him because I was in a clapback mood and mm-hmm. he was like not here for it. And they decided, uh, you know, so this was some white girl who was like, Rrr. and then of course, mysteriously, this Asian Asian woman claiming uh-huh. shows up, you know, in my inbox, talk about like, well, you know, how could this be racist? I support it, and I'm sorry, you know. And so I start interrogating, not interrogating, but I'm like, so what? This person said this. It's racist. You know, like, yeah. they said this is racist. Well, but, 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 and then they said, well, I have, you know, they start trying to use, well, I date a black woman. And I'm like, what does that have to do with this white girl being racist? Yeah. Right? And then they were like, well, she was attacked in a hate crime. What does that have to do with what this white girl did that was racist? Yeah. And, well, then she goes, well, I was, I was attacked too. And I was like, so you mysteriously remembered you were attacked in a racial hate crime? You just happened to forget that small fact? Yeah, I was like, I wasn't gonna pull up IP addresses, but I'm like, you're just so clearly a sock puppet and so poor at it, and it's just like, it's the same mentality of like, but why would you use your partner, yeah, like to defend anything you're doing, much less defend some racist that someone else is doing? That's not how this works. Like, it's not how this works. You don't get credit for that, right? You, if you want to be an ally, what you do get credit for is speaking up, owning your mistakes. Not being defensive when someone calls you on something. Right. I recently called out a very good friend of mine. And not even a hard call out. Just like a, you know what? I can't do this with you because of these reasons. Right. And they responded like, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. You know, thank. it, w- it was a very good exchange. And I was like, that is a good ally. 
who's right. able to listen and say, oh, you can't do this with me right now. That's fine. I don't own you. Right. I can't force you to do things. And because we're friends, I actually care about how you feel. Right. Not like, well, my partner is this. So you're going to... And the important part of that is also going like, it's going to take me some time to unfuck this in my head. Yeah. Right? Not like, well, I said sorry. Like, like you know what? What I did was fucked up and I didn't think it was fucked up. So I'm going to have to take some time and revise my fucking attitude. Exactly. Right? We all have to do it at times. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that's that's my that's my why must it be? My why, why must, must it be is pretty damn close to that too. In there a certain we go. Way. Um, we so, have synergy. So okay, right now we've got the Hugos going on. Um, the Hugo Awards are currently being gamed by Gamergate uh, folks and basically hate bros and MRA white supremacists, the usual crowd, right? Um, except they just brought in auxiliaries from a larger crowd. Can I just for a second say that I dreamt I had a dream last night about them? Um, the, like, sad puppies, rage puppies, and okay. I can't remember it exactly, except that I got this large flyer at my home that was, like, red and gold, and had, like, Torgensen's picture up top. Oh, jeez. And all I remember, I can't even remember the contents, what I do remember is that when I flipped to the back, it was signed from the feral puppies, <laughs> and so now that's what I call them in my head, I'm like, feral I think people puppies. have been calling them the rabid puppies, but that's anyway. too, I like um, that. But, yeah, so anyway, the thing is, is that the Hugo Awards have been becoming more diverse, because, well, people are enjoying books from women and people of color. Who Cal Supreze. People like books that show the world the way they are. The way right. it is. And, and so basically these reactionary, angry white dudes are like, No, you're decreasing diversity because we're not 99.9% .9 of the people anymore. Um, so they organized a giant campaign. Um, so this is all prelude to what I'm really going to get angry about. Okay? <laughs> like, this isn't even the thing I'm angry about. It's the, it's the rage aperitif. Right. And so basically, the the thing is is that um, people have been commenting about this. People recognize that it's a gaming of the system. And There's like, been a like, bunch okay. of articles, io9, The Guardian. Right. All these people have been talking about. And the phrase that keeps coming up that bugs me, and they do it in all kinds of shit, is they go, well, both sides have been vitrolic. Both sides have been oh. bad. And, and it always comes with, well, both sides have gotten death threats. And... I, I was angry enough I had to write down lists <laughs> because I wanted to make sure I hit all my points of anger. Um, so, point number one. So, like, let's, let's, you have your hate bros who spew out hate and then suddenly they're the targets of death threats. What is their response? They don't go, wow, no one should do death threats. And God damn it, my own side, these people who are supporting me haven't seen out death threats and that's fucked up. We need to stop right now. Instead they go, you guys do it too. Mm -hmm. So, okay, that tells me you don't really... The death threats really don't have you shook because you're not interested in stopping. No. Um, oh, Lord. Um, two, that it's already been established. We already have screen caps of people who are organizing these hate campaigns to say, let's fake send death threats to our own side. Yeah, right? So it's like, hmm. Well, yeah, keep going. I'm, I'm not going to interrupt you when you're on a roll. Yep. Uh, along with that, most of the time, these people who are like, and now we're getting death threats after usually two or three months of death threats to everyone else, mm -hmm. don't have proof of their death threats. No. And when they do have proof, you notice they never actually try to IP track or any of the things you actually do when you're really concerned for your safety. Yeah. Because who wants to bet those IPs are going to point back to people on their own side? I would bet my money, my life savings on it. I wish I had more life savings, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, like, my life savings is a stick of gum in a box of Tic Tacs right now, but I bet those things. You share some gum with me. We share some gum. You'd have a little extra, right? So, I mean, that's basically it. But I'm looking at this and like, like, do not say both sides. I'm so fucking tired of both sides. It is not goddamn both sides. And you're like, we need to take time and research it. No. If you fucking researched it, you would have seen within about 20 minutes of goddamn research is not both sides. Is not the same thing. And you are full of shit, and the only reason you're doing this is either because you support them, or you're a goddamn coward. In which case, you shouldn't have said shit in the first place. Well, and can can I just say, when they're like, both sides are vitriolic, or both sides, but let's talk about that. Because one side is vitriolic because they hate diversity, and one side is vitriolic because they're being attacked. Yes. The, if, if you're gonna say both sides are vitriolic, let's own the fact 
that responding to being attacked is an acceptable time to be angry. Right. When you're trying to crush people out of representation and you're using anger to do it, that's on a different level. Let's not even talk about the difference between punching down and punching up. Like, these are things that as an intelligent person, which maybe I shouldn't assume you are, I assume that if you're writing for, like, a respected publication, you must be smart. And that's something I need to stop assuming because y'all are some dumb assholes most of the time. And you want to write this shit about we need to listen to both sides and we need to listen. Both sides have valid points. One side only wants to be the only side that's ever heard. That's right. not a valid point. That's never a valid point. Right. And it's like, uh, I saw this amazing post that I have to dig up on a Tumblr where someone basically broke down like this. They said, when people say respect me, what one group of people are saying is respect me as a human being. And the other group is saying respect me as an authority. And they'll go, if you respect me, then I'll respect you. Which basically says, if you don't treat me as an authority, I will not treat you as a human being. Yeah. And I was like, there. That's it. That's it. Mike. So, you know, when we're talking about this both sides shit, bullshit up and down. And every time I see it, I'm just like, why did you even speak? Yeah. You know? You had nothing to say. You didn't have an opinion. Or you... Or you... you Too too scared to actually say some shit. Too chicken shit to give your opinion. Right. Because, I mean, honestly, if you were concerned about people being vitrolic, you could have said some shit way before that. Because if we're even just talking about just the Hugos, the same hate fuck mongers have been doing this shit for three or four years at least. At and least. you ain't said shit then. You only say shit now because, guess what? They have now turned your entire word process into shit and you know, no, there's no point in participating. Yeah. So now, oh, now you have some skin in the game. Got it. Well, can I also just do a little side mini, why must it be on that? For the motherfuckers who, like, listen, I feel sad for some of the people on the slate who did not know they were on the slate. There are people who are reacting and being like, fuck. Yeah. I'd like the Australians who were like, we didn't know anything about this. We just got, but here's the thing. Mother, the, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the magazine Blackgate got nominated because they were on the slate and they withdrew and there's a whole, I mean, not, not the magazine, the man who runs the magazine. I okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a whole um, piece that he wrote on it about why he withdrew, why he didn't want to be a part of this, why it was fucked up from the jump. So for these assholes to come in, and I'm specifically thinking about Ken Burnside coming into Patrick Nielsen Hayden's comments and trying to be like, well, I just wanted to get more eyes on my work and blah, blah, blah. And people being like, no, because if you did look at the eyes you're getting now, they're not good. Right. And also, I love how they, it's almost like they don't know how the internet works, because on one blog they try and act like innocent victims, and then people pull up their comments from another uh, place, blog. and they're, right, they're so like, cap. but you just called us a disease over here right. that needed to be cured. So which is it? Don't try and be a, act all nicey-nicey, because now that someone who has power, like Patrick Nielsen Hayden, is like, nope, you did wrong. And now you want to act like you're a good person. You're not. And there's evidence all over the internet. Right. But... What I will give, and I don't remember who did it. It was someone talking to George R. R. Martin, who also said this is bullshit. Well, they, he also said both sides. Yeah, he also said both sides. So I'm just like... Yeah. But anyway, it, but go ahead. There was a comment about, like, uh, um, a secret society, like, formed against them or whatever. And George R. R. Martin was like, okay, you need to show me evidence, number one. Like, that don't make no sense. But the thing I loved in the comment was it gave me my new favorite phrase, which is dystopian slipstream pornography, which is, yes, which is how they describe the stuff that's been winning and nominated lately. This is, this is an insult in their eyes. I think it's fantastic. I'm just trying to understand how that works. Like dystopian, like the slipstream is part where I'm confused. What does slipstream, are we in multiple dimensions? Well, as, um, as Cecilia Tan pointed out to me on Twitter, and she's so right, we already, the only, she's written some, but the real honor goes to Dahlgren, Delaney's Dahlgren, which is, that's the perfect description for it. That is the perfect, people have been looking for years for the perfect description of that book. And now this fool has provided it. And I feel that what we need to do is form this subgenre. There are already a few things. We just need to go for it. I want to see dystopian slipstream pornography shelves in my bookstore. I want to see dystopian slipstream pornography blogs that wreck the best of them. I want to see it all. That was the one good spot I had in all of this bullshit. 
I feel like if you start looking up uh, Marvel's Exiles fanfic and slash fic, you may get that. <gasps> Maybe. Because I feel like that would be a, an appropriate... People, just rub the serial numbers off. Rub the serial numbers off, turn it into original book. I want it out there. And then three years from now, we'll have a movie. Blockbuster movie. Right. All your characters will be white except for one. But, you know, but that's Hollywood. And that's you Hollywood. Paid. You get paid. And all we need to do is, all I want to see in that commercial is the quotation, the best dystopian slipstream pornography I've ever seen, says the New York Times. <laughs> that's just what I want. I, give it to me. Yeah. Give, yeah. People, this is our movement. This, this, is, this is our moment. I am your Norma Ray, and I'm calling out for it. That's, that's all I have to say. Do we even know what we're doing next week, or we just figure that out? Uh, I think we did know, but we forgot to mark it down. Okay, well, good, guys. Now you know how our organization process works. <laughs> well, you know what? At least Yellow Peril comes with notes. I come with an empty notebook and an open mind. <laughs> I just go from there. Cool, cool. So um, you can hit us up at Yellow Peril dot magical negro at gmail and uh yeah and um yeah check out awesome podcasts like uh nerdgasm noir mm -hmm. and the read and um there's one more that i wanted to that you like uh my brain is not working so our brain's not functioning but you know we'll, we'll 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 call them out every time we we can so don't worry about it all right y'all have to have a good time bye